The gospel reading is from John 21, uh, verses 15 through 25, and that should be page 1078 in your pew Bible. This is also the sermon text. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad, abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is the gospel of our Lord. Good morning. Well, this is kind of a bittersweet day for me because this is our last sermon in the book of John. And um, this was a, a, a great blessing going through this book, and, and I hope that it has blessed you throughout the, the over a year that we've been in this, in this gospel. Um, today we're finishing our study as we engage part two of this two-part sermon of how Jesus restored a coward, focusing on Peter himself. And this, of course, to catch you up if you weren't here last week or not familiar with this, with this gospel, this was after Peter denied three times that he knew Jesus and denied it vehemently, calling curses down upon him and upon Christ himself to, to, to say he did not know Jesus. Brought Peter very low. And so we'll see Jesus continue to restore this broken relationship and his dear, outspoken, and zealous disciple. Well, we come to see throughout the Bible story, though. When we think about the entire Bible, and by the way, what we're going to start on next week is we're going to start on our Advent series a little bit early. We'll send an email out about that. But we have about two or three weeks before Advent actually begins, and Sam and I got together and thought, well, why don't we start the series sooner so we can go through the, the larger story of the Bible and 
where Jesus fits into to some of these things, but we'll, more on that next week. But what we see throughout the Bible story is that this is the calling, the ministry of Jesus, and actually the mission of God, to restore all things, reconciling all things to himself. In other words, bringing order out of all the disorder that came out of the fall, out of sin, out of idolatry, all of that disorder that sin brought into this world, the mission of God is to bring order, to restore order to one day when we have no more of that brokenness. And he's called us to be a part of this. But he's showing us right here this restoration of this cowardly act of this cowardly disciple, Peter. And what we also notice, just to, we're, we're going to hearken back to a few uh, gospel passages that remind us of Jesus' relationship with Peter. And one of the things I'm reminded of as we go through this is that Jesus never turned from his promise or his commitment to Peter. Back in Luke 22, Jesus calling Peter, Simon, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that you may not fail, that you may not fail completely. Because when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. This was the plan of Jesus. That when, when, when Peter failed, that Jesus was going to restore him. And when he did restore him, he said, you have a calling from that point to strengthen your brothers. Now last week we saw how Jesus restored Peter and the other disciples on the, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee by this charcoal fire, inviting them into a meal, inviting them into fellowship, restoring them into fellowship with him. But that was just the beginning of the restoration. Today, we're going to see the camera be from this wide angle, zooming in now on this relationship between Peter and Jesus themselves. Now, I believe this is in, they're, they're still in the midst of the other disciples, but at this point, Things zoom in, and we had this conversation, this uh, conversation going on between Peter and Jesus. And what we're going to see is we're going to see Jesus restoring Peter by doing three things. Engaging his heart. He's going to be engaging Peter's heart. He's going to be entrusting his work to Peter. And he's going to be exhorting Peter's will. So engaging his heart, entrusting his work, and exhorting his will. So we're going to see how he engages the heart. Verse 15 says, when, when they had finished breakfast, so they're still all together. They, they shared in the meal, and they're still sitting around that fire. And Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Some commentators say that's just like a parent when they're a little stern with their child, and they, and they use their full name. This is one of the few times Jesus uses Peter's full name like this. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What's the first step of this restoration process for Peter? What's the first thing after he has come back from this brokenness, from this wretched sin? We learned last week, one dictionary defines cowardice as the, as the worst insult known to man. What is the first thing that Jesus says? Well, in our culture, we demand public apologies, right? Maybe they were sitting in our culture, they'd be sitting around the fire, maybe one of the disciples say, I think somebody owes somebody an apology. Or perhaps Peter would say, do you have something you'd like to say to me? You know, or, or Jesus would say, perhaps you have something to say to me, Peter. This is how we handle things. Whenever somebody says something that is inappropriate or wrong or offensive, we demand an apology, don't we? 
And we love to do it with our public figures because then as soon as we apologize, then they've admitted they're wrong and then we use it as a weapon against them. We have all kinds of ways of dealing with this. And with our kids even, you know, we, we, we tell our kids, hey, tell them you're sorry. And then, I'm sorry. And, you, you know, I get that. And, and, and we did that with our children. And it, I think that's good. It's teaching them a process of reconciliation. But you and I know it's not always coming from the heart, right? But this is not the way Jesus handled it. It's interesting that Peter hasn't come in. There's no record of a verbal confession of Peter to Jesus. There's no record of Jesus saying, Peter, acknowledge what you've done. This is why uh, Matthew Henry, a uh, 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 Puritan commentator, says this. The question for Simon, for Peter, is not how much have you wept, Simon? How, uh, how long have you fasted, Simon? Or how long have you afflicted your soul, Simon? But the question that Jesus asked is, do you love me? Matthew Henry goes on to say, it is this that will make the other expressions of repentance acceptable. Before Christ would commit his sheep to Peter's care, he asked him first, do you love me? Those that do not truly love Christ, Henry says, will never truly love the souls of men. Think about that. Those that don't truly love Christ will never truly love the souls of men. He went straight to the heart and he went straight to the foundation of love. Remember when, when Jesus was asked about the law and he said, this is the law. You want to fulfill the law, you want to obey all the law, you do this. You love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you do what? And you love your neighbor as yourself. This is the law and the prophets. This is it. You want to, everything in, 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 in the Old Testament here, everything that we've been looking at, it's love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Simple, huh? But there is a sense where we have to understand that there is an order to our loves. St. Augustine talked about the order of love, that, that the best of the best, that virtue itself, that the truest of, 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 of all good can only be attained when our loves are ordered rightly. And C.S. Lewis, expounding on that, says this. He says, to love you as I should, I must worship God as creator. When I've learned to love God better than my earthly dearest... I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. And Lewis continues, when first things are put first, second things are not suppressed, but they are increased. Why is that? Well, if we love the creature more than we love the creator, then we are seeking our satisfaction in the thing that cannot give us that satisfaction. Does that make sense? If we're loving people, if we're loving things more than we love our creator, we're seeking to be satisfied, we're seeking some fulfillment in that creature or in that thing, and they can't provide it. I can't provide that for you, you can't provide that for me. That full satisfaction, that fulfillment, that joy, that peace only can come from the one who can actually give it. 
That's our creator. That's our Lord. That's why we're called to love him first. And from that, the love of the creator should flow out of us into one another. And we can love one another and be, hopefully, more patient with one another, more kind to one another, more forgiving to one another, to love them well. So, first question, do you love me, Peter? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I'm just going to go with the question and answer right now. The next point we'll deal with, with Jesus' charge after that. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said a third time, Simon, son of John. Now Peter was grieved. Peter was grieved. Exactly why? Well, for one, Peter knows that Jesus knows all things. He's saying, you know all these things. You know my heart. You know how I feel toward you. And he's also grieved because he's hearing this question again, and he's recalling around this charcoal fire, around the smell of the smoke, around the disciples, and with Jesus right before him, he's recalling the other three questions he was just asked a few days before. Oh, you're, you're with Jesus, aren't you? And how he responded to that. This threefold way of asking these questions believed to be a way of restoring Peter by asking him three times and giving him the, the, the opportunity to acknowledge his love for Jesus three times. It's a way of Jesus loving Peter. But he was grieved. Now, I want to mention one thing, because if, if you've heard sermons on this passage before, you might have heard about the different words for love that are used in this passage. There's agape love that is the, the love of God, the, the unconditional love, and then there's also another word for, for love in here, uh, phileo, which, which we get the word Philadelphia. It's a, it's a brotherly love. Think of it that way. Well, both of those words are used in this passage. Now, I just, all, I just want to say this because somebody might expect me to, to, to comment on this. Um, it's believed that these are just used as synonyms. The point of this passage is not the degree of love or what kind of love they're talking about. The, the point of this passage is that they are talking, Jesus is asking Peter about the condition of his heart, about his love for Jesus. And, and, and if, you, if you would like a little, just, I'll just tell you one thing. On, on, uh, in John 16, Jesus, John 16, 27, Jesus says this, For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Both of those Greek words are the word phileo. Okay, it's, it's, the, it's the word for brotherly love there, describing God's love. So these words are used interchangeably sometimes, just, just so you know that. The point of this is Jesus was engaging his heart and the love that he had for him. Now, how did Jesus, what was he doing when he was asking these questions? What was going on? How was this restoration process working out? The best way I could think of for this is HGTV or this old house. If you, ever, if you watch any of these home renovation shows or many of you have done your own home renovation, you know it always starts with demo day, right? It always starts with tearing things out. And that is the messiest, I hate that time. But it's necessary. It's necessary because you have to peel away all the stuff, the old siding or the old plaster, 
or the old drywall, the wet drywall, whatever's happening. And at that point, what happens is you begin to reveal things that are going wrong with the house. Once you pull those things away, I remember watching this old house and they have the, you know, the contractor go around looking, oh, there's, there's termite damage here. Well, if they would have just let that go, then this thing would have started caving in. This restoration process begins with a demolition and that, that time of Peter denying and weeping bitterly and going through all of his humiliation was actually alike to demo day for him. It was peeling away that stuff that was hiding the truth of his heart, the true condition of his heart. And that stuff had to be pulled away. Notice that the way Peter answers Jesus at this point, there's no bravado anymore. There's no pride in his answer. There's no self-righteousness like saying, no, Jesus, I'm good. I still love you. Give me that to do again, and I would acknowledge you every time. He didn't do that. He has been humbled. Notice here, this is the humbling work of Jesus, not just to prepare Peter, but to prepare all of us. We all need a demo day. We're not buildings for us, and for buildings it might be a day or a few days, but for us perhaps we need weeks, months, even years of stripping away in order to expose those areas of our hearts that need to be exposed so that we can deal with them or so that Jesus can deal with them. So that Jesus can draw us toward a greater restoration. Because what he's doing in this restoration is he's not just restoring us for nothing. He's restoring us for a purpose. He's restoring Peter for a purpose here. Notice what he says here. Because not only is he, is he uh, 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 I'm sorry, engaging his heart. He's now entrusting his flock to Peter. Peter says this, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Feed my lambs. See, Jesus was ordering Peter's love and making sure that Peter's love was ordered rightly and making sure Peter understood that and saw that in himself because what Jesus was giving him to do was to give his entire flock. Remember back in chapter 10, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. He was talking about his sheep. Now he's telling Peter, feed my sheep. Jesus talked about when a hireling comes along, they don't take care of the sheep like he does. He's the good shepherd. But Peter's not a hireling. Jesus is uniting him in love and in mission so that he would care for his sheep with the love of Christ, so that he would see the sheep as the sheep of Christ and care for them and feed them and love them. N.T. Wright comment, commenting on this says, Peter's answer to the questions that Jesus asked him don't get a pat on the back from Jesus. They don't get a word of encouragement or comfort, but a command, a mission, a challenge. Shepherd my flock, Peter. Be a shepherd and care for my people. So after establishing the foundation of love and restoring the priority of Peter's love, 
Jesus gives him the charge and responsibility to care for the sheep. Feeding them with the word, protecting them from false teachers, leading them through suffering, praying for them. And he not only does that for Peter, but he calls all of his ministers, he calls all of his people to take part of his mission. You know, Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, he says God is working through Christ, reconciling, making us ambassadors of reconciliation, ambassadors of Christ, taking part in this ministry of reconciliation, of seeing the disorder of sin, the disorder of, fall, of the fallen idolatry brought back to order. He gives us that call to be a part, to be agents in that restoration. But this work of shepherding requires not only a rightly ordered love, but a resolve to follow for life. The mission Jesus is entrusting to Peter requires a deep love and resolve of the will to follow the good shepherd and his word to where he calls us. How far is that? Well, verse 18, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, Peter, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. I don't have to explain that because John already does it. This he said to show what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. And it seems like they must have been walking now at this point. The one who had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it who's going to betray you? That's John, by the way. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? What about him? If I got to die, what about him? Jesus said to him, if it's my will, he remain until I come. What's that to you? You follow me. You follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers that his disciple, this disciple was not going to die. Yet Jesus didn't say that. And he did indeed die. He just said, if I, it's my will that I remain, he remains until I come. What's that to you? It's interesting, just as, just as Peter, Jesus told Peter that he would deny him three times back in chapter 13, so he now gives Peter the news that he will die for him. But there's no argument from Peter this time. When I think about this, theme of follow me that we see all throughout not only the, the gospel of John but throughout the rest of the gospels you see this theme of follow me Jesus is calling the disciples to follow me he's calling us to follow him think about the trajectory of that phrase follow me for Jesus for Peter think about the first time he called the disciples to follow him what did that mean well that meant follow him follow Jesus out into Israel and, and, and spread the good news and, and, and let me reveal myself and my works to the people I bet there was a lot of joy in that. Following Jesus, getting to see, I mean, being surprised, getting to see all the things he was doing. I'm sure that, you know, it was tough sometimes, but it was also, had to be pretty amazing to see what Jesus was doing. And then what happens? And then, and then as time goes on, Jesus is asking, is telling his disciples to follow him. Follow him where? To Jerusalem. Follow him to Jerusalem where he is going to die. Peter didn't like that either. 
I don't think a lot of them liked it. But it was their calling still. It was what Jesus, it's what he was calling them to do. Follow me here, but now follow me to Jerusalem as well. Follow me as I go and die. And now, follow me for Peter means follow me with your own cross to your own death. It's really time now, Peter, to deny yourself. And Peter did. Peter did. He was restored. And we see the works of Peter in the book of Acts. We see, we hear the words of Peter, what he wrote to his disciples, what he wrote to those who were followers of Christ, those who were giving their lives, those who were in the same place of having to acknowledge Christ or deny him as well. Those who were suffering for the sake of the gospel. All throughout this gospel, we see these themes of love and following, love and following. Some of this has really simplified the gospel for me, and yet it makes it so difficult. Because sometimes knowing the law and knowing all the things to do and the things not to do are a little bit easier than having to love somebody who's really, really difficult to love. Or really hard to forgive somebody who has just offended you beyond what you can imagine. And that's where the love of God bears down on us. That's the love that we cannot give unless we have a rightly ordered love. Unless we have a love that is first for the Lord God. First acknowledges him for who he is and understands it and is drawn to him. And makes him a part of our lives every day seeks him and seeks to follow him in everything that we do. That theme of love and following have been throughout this gospel. And so it's interesting that he closes this gospel with these same themes emphasized probably as maybe more than ever. When he's calling Peter to love, love him supremely and to follow him to the point of death. Death on his own cross. Brothers and sisters, if anything has struck me more in this gospel, it is the emphasis on love beyond all things. It is the emphasis on how we love our Lord individually and as a church, and then how we love one another it doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter what we know. It doesn't matter how tight our theology is. If we don't love one another, we have nothing. This church has nothing if we are not loving one another. That's what the gospel says. That's what Jesus said. The way we are known by, if, if, to be known as Christians is to be known by our love. Our love for one another, which must be fed by the love that we have for Jesus himself. That's what he charges us with. And man, that's scary. And that's why my prayer is that we would learn to love the Lord together. Encouraging one another. Seeking the Lord together. Coming together and encouraging one another. Praying for one another. 
studying God's word with one another. When we're struggling, being able to come to one another and say we're struggling with this. If you have no one to come to, come to me, come to Sam, come to one of our elders. But brothers and sisters, I want to see us be loving the Lord that we may love one another with the love of the Lord. That we would strive to grow in our love for God, spending time with him in his word and fellowship with his people. Francis Schaeffer said this, without true Christians loving one another, the world cannot be expected to listen even when we give proper answers. I agree. I want to close with Peter's words. This is 1 Peter chapter 5. And Peter says this. Think about the, 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 the life of Peter. What we know about Peter. The humiliation he went through. The cowardice that he experienced when he denied Christ three times. All the times Jesus shut him back down when he thought he was so righteous and had it all together. And this is what Peter says. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So, verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Does that sound like Peter? <laughs> Being humbled that God may exalt him. But casting all your anxieties on him, all your burdens, casting them on him because, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful, and know this, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Jesus, make it so. Turn our eyes to you. Deepen our love for you and our love for one another. And Lord, may we be known as followers of Christ in this community and in our city. Amen. Whether it's 